one of the things we're going to cover in this psalm is how you know, the Lord made us intricately in our mother's womb. Did, do you guys know, you probably heard the phrase, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that means that when God puts you together, isn't it a miracle, the, the human body? Don't you guys trip out on that? You know, I was reading this one article about the heart, for example. Let's all put our hand over our hearts, if you would. Um, most of you probably put your, you know, your hand over the left side of your chest. We kind of been taught that. But um, maybe you know this. The heart is actually located more or less in the middle of the chest. But it's tipped slightly so that it kind of sticks out more towards the left side. And that's why you can almost feel the heartbeat there. Just the way that our heart is. If you're a child and you make a fist, uh, that's about the size of your heart. If you're an adult and you need two fists, and now you kind of have the size of your heart. Um, how many of you here, do you ever wonder how many times your heart beats every day? You ever think about that? A hundred thousand times. Every single day that heart beats. Now, if you get a tennis ball and if you squeeze it, you guys kind of know the firmness of that, right? That's pretty much a great example of what the heart does every single time it beats. About, it's about the same pressure. And so 100,000 times a day, they say, 35 million times a year, and the average uh, lifetime, and I guess that depends on how long you live, right? Uh, 2.5 billion times this heart beats, right? Um, and, and so, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but when you feel your pulse, a lot of times we'll take the two fingers and we'll put them at the neck or the wrist, and that means that our, our blood, actually, the flow, it actually stops and goes, stops and goes. I, I never knew that. I was looking into this, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, but our heart beats so fast and it works so hard. It, it even works twice as hard as your leg muscles when they're sprinting. That's how hard your heart is working uh, the aorta, which is the largest artery in the body, is about the diameter of a garden hose. And so you can see that that's pretty thick, right, the aorta. But then there's the capillaries that flow throughout our body. It takes 10 capillaries put together to give the width of a single strand of hair. And this is how God has made us. Uh, your body has about six quarts of blood that circulate through your entire body. You know how often? three times every single minute. And in one day, your blood travels a total of 12,000 miles. And so that's going back and forth across our country three times and so four times. And so I don't know. I just, when I think of how the Lord made us and our heart, I think, wow, God, you're an awesome God. But the thing is this, um, our heart, I pray that our heart would be for the Lord. And the only way that's really going to happen, I think, is if we get to know who he is. And that's why uh, we have this psalm. Look what we read here in Psalm 139. In, in verse 1, it says, It's the chief musician. Notice it's a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar off. You comprehend my path. And my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. When you look at this psalm, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a doctrinal psalm. So you're going to learn doctrine. But not only is it a doctrinal psalm, you're going to see it's a very personal psalm. 
You see, David understands the attributes of God, but not just that, he understands how to apply them to his life. And that's important, you guys, that we learn to connect the dots of doctrine to our life. And so you know everything about God. You know the fact that he's eternal. He's, you know, you know Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Maybe you passed your theological course exam, but here's the, the real test. How is it affecting your life? So this is a very doctrinal psalm, but it, it's a very personal psalm, and I think it's a life-changing psalm. In verses 1 through 4, we see really God's omniscience. And God's omniscience is a 50-cent word that means he knows everything. He knows everything about everyone And God not only knows everything about everything and everyone, but he knows, here's where it's important, everything about me. You need to know that God knows everything about you. God knows everything about us. Notice right here in verse 1, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. The word search here, it means to examine, it means to explore, it means to investigate thoroughly. Um, that searching we find is God has an absolutely perfect knowledge of everything about us. It's an interesting word. The verb search, it means to examine with pain and care. Uh, the other day we were looking for my daughter's iPod and she was even asking us as a family, will you help me find my iPod? And so, you know, she did one night and the next day she woke up again, will you help me find my iPod? And you know, I said for five bucks, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And, but we were, we were searching the house. You know, and the thing about it is that it's not like God does this to discover new knowledge. What the psalmist is trying to say is that he just knows everything about you. As if an individual was seeking for these things in, in one sense with painful care. It's interesting. The Jews used this word to describe digging deep into a mine, examining, exploring land, and investigating, if necessary, a legal case. You see, the thing is this. Our friends, they see the outside. But see, God, he sees the inside. He sees the heart. And, and that's what David is trying to say here. There's a real good scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that's why I want to encourage you guys, man, whatever you do, don't get sloppy in your agape. Whatever you do, don't, you know, you bring every thought into captivity every day, wherever you are. Because understand, that's what we see that God sees. Look, first of all, how he knows. There in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. See, he knows our ways. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. See, God knows our ways. When we sit down, when we get up, it's interesting here in the Hebrew language, the, these are kind of like opposites, you know, to sit down and to rise up. And it's a figure of speech known as a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M, merism. And so what it does is it gives two extremes 
And it says that God knows everything in between. And we're going to see he uses that in just a second. In one sense, it's kind of like when you go to bed at night and then when you wake up in the morning and then when you go to bed at night. In other words, that's everything. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I always pray, Lord, thank you for helping me fall asleep. Thank you for sustaining me while I slept. And Lord, thank you for waking me up. God does all those things. And he knows when we sit and he knows when we rise. God understands, it says, my thoughts. Notice it says right there, from afar. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he's far geographically. Uh, One translation says that he knows um, even from far away in time. That's interesting to me, you know, because you're thinking, you know, a year down the road, God knows you were going to think that thought. God knows our thoughts from afar. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away, even geographically or even spiritually. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. And we know Jesus was that way, right? In Matthew 9, verse 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? See, it's important for us to know and to bring every thought into captivity. You know, the Lord, it says right here, knows when I sit, He knows when I rise. He understands my thoughts. And in the New Living Translation takes it a step further. It says, even from far away, you understand my motives. You see, God not only knows our moves, He knows our motives. He knows what you think, what you say, what you do, and why you do all of that. God knows everything about everything and everyone. God knows everything about me. And see, that's what we have to understand. It says right here that God comprehends my path in verse 3. And the word comprehends, it literally means he winnows my path. He comprehends it. Why? Because he sifts through it. You see, God is 100% aware of our walk. And then when we lie down, he is acquainted with all our ways. The Hebrew word translated acquainted means to know Intimately, And so number one, it's important as we look at God's omniscience to know that he knows our ways. And then number two, um, that he knows our words. Notice there in verse four, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know all about that word. God knows our ways. And God knows our words. Not a single word that he doesn't know perfectly. You know, one translation says he knows our words completely. And, and, and then I ponder that I think of, you know, every syllable of every sentence, the tone of voice, the volume I use. He knows why you said it. I wonder what he thinks of my words. He knows your voice. Another translation says he knows our words even before we speak them. Just an absolute thorough knowledge. Think about that. I mean, does that hit home with you? Do you ever really, you know, take that into consideration when you're speaking? You know, of course, when you're teaching, we know that according to James chapter 3, it says that not many of you become teachers knowing that you're going to receive a stricter judgment. But everything you say... You know, to whoever it might be, it might be a child that you don't respect, that you should respect. Why? Because God sees, God hears, their angels stand in the presence of God. 
It might be to someone that, for whatever reason, a lot of times we have loose lips. And what the psalmist is trying to share with us is, is God's omniscience. God knows all our ways. God knows all our words. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 36, But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Every word. Do you think a word will slip by God? You're wrong. Every single word, we will give an account for it. Now, we as Christians, we're not going to be punished for those words because we know that Jesus was punished for our sins on the cross. But you will lose rewards if your words violate God's holiness. For that reason, I'm telling you now, David's telling you now, the Holy Spirit is telling us now, watch your ways, watch your words. Because the God that we serve, you may not see him, but he sees you. You may not hear him, but he hears you. Every single word, syllable, sentence you will ever say, that's the God that we serve. And David here, as he's sharing about the Lord, you know, it's important for us to know. Now, here's the thing, and it's interesting. It's not just bad, okay? Don't just think, well, God's, you know, trying to, you know, keep an eye on me because he just wants to punish me. You want to know something that's really cool? God wants to reward you. How about if those ways are good? How about if you're sitting down and you're rising up and everything in between when you wake up in the morning all the way to when you go to sleep at night? How about if your day is lived for him? How about if your thoughts are thoughts of him? How about if your words are words for him? You know, sometimes, and again, I don't want to get weird or anything, but, you know, I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage you, church, fellowship. You know, after a Bible study, don't just talk about, you know, things that really have no eternal significance. You know, after a Bible study, maybe you go up to someone, you say, hey, how you doing? How can I pray for you? What did you think about the study? Well, it wasn't that good. That's well, you know what? There's another study maybe you can listen to. You know, but you just, you know, you start interacting and fellowshipping. The, God wants to reward you. One day, you'll be rewarded for the words that you speak that are words that are good. We talked about it on Sunday, how a father can build up a son. How he can build up that son with words of edification. How you can also destroy someone by putting them down and criticizing them. Not only that, there's a really cool book. The Bible talks about in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. It's interesting. The book of remembrance, they call it. And apparently, when you say things that are edifying, when you say things that are spiritual, when you talk about the Lord, apparently those words go in the book of remembrance. And one day, you will be rewarded for that. So I want to encourage you today, you know, to just know the God that we serve. I know we can't see him and this isn't really like this, you know, great cathedral. And you're like, how can God be there? But let me tell you, he is here in his fullness and he knows our ways and he hears our words. God is an omniscient God. There was never a time in which we were unknown to God. 
And there will never be a time when we are beyond his intimate observation. And so David right here, it's kind of cool. In verse 6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so, first of all, I want to encourage you to know the God that we serve, that he is uh, a God of omniscience. He knows everything. And then secondly, to know that he's a God who is omnipresent. And we see there in verse 5, look, it says, You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And, you know, one day I want to encourage you guys, if you can, maybe get a theology book on the attributes of God. Uh, It'll be a lot better than maybe some of the television that you're watching or maybe even, you know, take the place of reading the daily newspaper. Um, You learn about God. And when you do, it's radical. It changes your life. You are, we are a reflection of what we believe about God. And when you read the Bible, you understand how amazing he is. To me, it's amazing to think, who is this God? That he knows my thoughts from afar off. He knows when I sit. He knows when I rise. He knows every single word I say. He's an awesome God. And what we find right here is that God is everywhere, always. You know, you can't run from him. Some people think they can run from him. Some people think they can escape the day that they will stand before God. You can try as hard as you want. It says right there, you can take the wings of the morning, which is 186,000 miles per second. You can travel the speed of light, and you will never be able to escape the presence of God. And that's an awesome thought. You know, when you read this right here, God's omnipresence means he is everywhere at all times in his fullness. You know, sometimes we think of God kind of like the TV monitors, like he's up in heaven and he's watching what's going on down there in Almani, right? And he's watching on the TV monitor. No, he's not watching on a TV monitor. He's here. He's everywhere in his fullness. That's God's omnipresence. He's not just watching in some miraculous monitor. You know, he's, you know, here, everywhere. He knows our ways. He knows our, our words. And then, and then here's something interesting. He knows our wars, if I could just say it that way. Did you guys know you're in a war? You're like, no, nah, I'm not in a war. If you don't think you're in a war, then the devil has you right where he wants you to be. You are in a war. You know, the cool thing is this, though. Look what we read in verse 5. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You see, the presence of God in our life is also the protection of God in our life. 
You know, God builds a hedge, and he is a hedge behind us and before us. In other words, all around us. It's interesting, you go home and you look up that Hebrew word hedge. You go home and look it up, and you know what that word is usually translated in the Bible? To besiege. You guys know what besiege means, right? It means to surround. God surrounds us. God is surrounding you. God has your back. God is before you, leading you. God is behind you, protecting you. That's what he says right here, and he's just so blown away by it. You know, God builds this hedge, and the Bible says this, and I've always loved this passage in Psalm 125, verse 2. It says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. How many of you guys remember that song? Just out of curiosity, I want to see if there's any old-timers here. One person, two people. Okay, you guys got to sing that afterwards, right? Three. As the mountains are round Jerusalem, the Lord is all around his people. Isn't that cool? The Lord is around us. I mean, he is omniscient, knows everything. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is behind us. He is before us. You know, when I read about like Job and it says, you know, you guys remember Satan would go up and he would report to God and God said, hey, I have a certain thing, my servant Job. And you know, remember the whole story. This is a fast forward version. And, you know, Satan says, yeah, well, you got a hedge about him. Just take, take down the hedge and I'll get to him and he'll curse you to your face, right? And we go through trials and we get tested in life, right? And that's all the devil is trying to do is to make you, you know, backslide, curse God to his face, right? As we go through the trials. But I always pray that prayer, Lord, be a hedge about my family. And if the devil comes in one day, Lord, and he says, hey, take the hedge down, don't listen to him, Lord. <laughs> I say, Lord, be my hedge, because that's who he is. He protects us. He protects us with his very presence. He's always with us. He's always around us. He always surrounds us. In verse 6, we see here, David, the psalmist, is completely blown away at God's omnipresence. And that's important for us. In Acts chapter 18, 9 and 10, when Paul was having some hard times in Corinth, you know, and we know that God did a great work there, but it was a hard place to be. You know, what you find is that what encouraged Paul was the Lord came to him and the Lord appeared to him. And the Lord said, basically he said, I'm with you. Remember that? In Acts chapter 18, 9 and 10, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. See, and whatever it is that you're going through tonight, and that's one thing I know for sure, is that everybody's going through trials. Everybody's going through battles. Well, all of us here, we're, we've got our struggles. You know, but the thing that encourages me the most, me, is to know that not only that I'm not alone, but that the Lord is with me, you see? And that's the truth that we see here. You know, David says, I know, Lord, you're with me. I know you're hedging me behind and before. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. You go out and you do the Great Commission. Don't worry, you'll be able to do it because all authority has been given to me. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, we see here in verses 5 through 10, just the literal truths. And then in verse 11 through 12, we see the way it really hits home. You know, in 7 and 8, David asks a couple of questions, which is, remember that word we learned earlier, merism? 
Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. See that? In other words, that's a merism. That's everywhere. When you sit down, you rise up. God says, hey, I know all about your day and your night. And, you know, hell to heaven. God is everywhere. That's what he's trying to say. And this is say you try to run away in verse 9. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, that's interesting. You know, I was doing some research on this. You guys know how deep the deepest part of the sea is? You guys ever study that? Anybody here? Some of you guys remember in school, don't you? Seven miles down. It takes, uh, depending on what vehicle you take, but, it, you know, <laughs> it takes about maybe three, four hours, five hours to get there. And, uh, and when you're there, the pressure is amazing. And, and what we see is, you know, you go down deep. And, and I think there's more to it. We go down deep. It's not just, you know, I, I think literal. Although it is literal, I think that God is trying to teach us something here. Because there will be trials that are so deep, the deepest part of the ocean, right? Seven miles down. It, that, that's so big. It, it's kind of like if you were to take Mount Everest, which is the, you know, that, that mountain, which is close to, uh, what, I forgot how many thousand feet. If you take that mountain, if you put it in that valley, in the, in the lowest part of the ocean, it would be, that, that valley is so deep, you'd still have another mile of water above Mount Everest. That's how big that valley is. And I think that in one sense, it's symbolic of us. And we go through trials and we have our mountaintops and they're great. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, on this side of time, on planet Earth, your valleys are going to be greater. In, in, in the sense that we go through it. Now, when we got our eyes on the Lord, we're fine. But, you know, if we try to run away from the presence of God and we go, you know, even, you know, from hell to heaven, he's there. The deepest part of the ocean, he's there. You can't hide from God. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. They couldn't hide from God. You know, Jonah tried to hide from God. He couldn't hide from God. You can't hide from God. Why would you even want to try to run away from God? Don't, don't run away from God. My encouragement to you is to run to him. See, this is the God that we serve, and this is how awesome he is. You know, it's not just intellectual information. It's, it's practical application. You're like, okay, so now I know God's omniscience. I know God's omnipresence, right? But it, again, look at verse 10. If you go to the uttermost part of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me. And, and your right hand, that's your strong hand. It, it shall hold me. And if I could just pause for a moment... Isn't that like kind of like the two things that we fear the most? I know I do sometimes, you know, where, you know, I want God to guide my life. You know, I'm wondering, Lord, am I making the right decisions? Am I going in the right directions? You know, for those of you who are husbands or leaders especially, but for all of us here, you know, we want the Lord to lead us. And that's what he's saying right here. You know, when we know God and we know we're in the, the toughest and difficult, most you know, just dire straight circumstances. God says, I will still lead your life. And not only that, you know, Lord, keep me, protect me. And, and here the psalmist says, God will hold you. 
you know, our God is an awesome God. You know, when you gave your life to him, I tell you what, um, he is committed to you. He really is. And I've seen some people and they drift away and they go and they do different things. And you know what God does? God goes running after them. God doesn't give up on them. God will go down to the lowest parts of the deepest oceans. And God will take you with his right hand. And he will lead you where you need to be. And he will hold you in his arms. Because that's our father. And there's so many passages that speak about God doing these things. Psalm 119 verse 117. It says, hold me up and I shall be safe. And I shall observe your statutes continually. Psalm 73 verse 23 says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Psalm 94 verse 18 says, If my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. You see, we experience the ups and downs of life, the dark times, we read in verse 11 and 12, and the bright times. And God is not simply aware. God is there. The Lord is not just near. The Lord is here. And it's important for us to know that. And so, you know, you go through your Bible, and I, and I don't know, um, I really pray that you would spend your life discovering who God is. I've always told you guys this, and I don't know if you remember or not, but I've told you, you know, that you're, you know, it's okay to examine your own life, right? Um, Self-examination is cool, but don't let that examination replace concentration on the Lord. Because when you get your eyes on yourself, you're going to be bummed, amen? I look at you and I, oh man, they're in trouble, right? (laughs) When we get our our eyes on ourselves, we're going to be depressed. I wonder if there's anyone here who's suffering depression tonight. I know there is. I know there is. I mean, there are so many people in the church who are suffering from depression. And you want to know something? Depression, it does a lot. It, 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 It saps your energy from you. Depression, it destroys people. And God has these works for us to do and this life for us to live. And we don't even have any energy. Why? Because we're depressed. Why are you depressed? Because your eyes are on yourself. When your eyes are on yourself, you're going to get down. Take your eyes off yourself. Lift them up. When we get our eyes on ourselves, we're going to be depressed. When we get our eyes on the, our eyes on the world, we're going to be stressed. Right? You're going to pull your hair out. You're going to be worried. I wonder what's going to happen. You know, we see these things going on in Iraq. And I mean, I don't know if you guys heard the news last night about a molestation in a church here in Almani. You know, and now that church right there, United Pentecostal Church, just in case you didn't know, they're a cult. They don't believe in the Trinity. So that's that. But it happens in other churches. You know, and you, and you hear things like that and you freak out. Some people get stressed. But you know what? When you get your eyes on the Lord, you're going to get blessed. Look at the God that we serve. Look at how much he loves you. Look at how he knows when you sit and when you rise. Notice how he knows every thought, every word, every action, every deed. And that's what he's trying to teach us. Because as David, and I don't know what he was going through right here in his life. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things that we can think of. But apparently there was some type of opposition. There was some people that were coming against him. 
And that happened to David quite frequently. And that'll happen to us in our life. And maybe you can't put your finger on an individual. And maybe it's not a person. Maybe it is. Sometimes it is. I've seen some guys going through some like divorce cases and things like that. My heart goes out to them. I just think, wow, they are just getting persecuted. But, you know, the thing is this. You know, as you're going through these things, this is what you got to know. And so he lays down a couple of attributes, and we can go, and you get a theology book, and you can read all the wonderful attributes of God, and it'll just blow your mind. How big is your God? How personal is your God? A lot of people, what they do is they run to their God, and they tell him, Lord, look at how big my mountains are. When we should be running to our mountains and telling them how big our God is. What God wants to do in our life, what God wants to do, not just in their life, in your life, how he wants to work in you and through you is so important that we hold on to. But we can't do it on our own strength. You know, God can speak through a donkey. Amen. God can use the weakest person. As a matter of fact, the cool thing is this that the more you acknowledge your weakness, that the greater the strength of God will be in you. And I know there are some of you here, you're like, well, I can't do it, I can't, whatever the case is. And that's okay to a certain extent. You eventually have to come to Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it, but I can do this. If God gives me the strength, and I know he wants to, all we have to do is believe. And so we, we learn about God, and then, and then David, what he does now is he really begins to make this whole thing personal. Look at verse 13. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was wrought in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. See, it's important for us to know that, you know, this is a doctrinal psalm, but it's also a very personal psalm. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering about the, the plan for your life. You know, the, the, we use the word destiny. Do you guys ever think about that? Your destiny? Your future? What's going on? What does God have for you? Some people are really, they're really worried about that. And what I want to encourage you to to do is, is not worry. The Bible says, Jesus said, do not worry. So if you worry, you're sinning, okay? <laughs> so don't worry. Repent today. <laughs> and just know God has an awesome future for you. You know, um, what we find right here is David talks about how when God made him. What's your birthday? And you go back maybe nine months and you start thinking about the day you were conceived in your mother's womb. 
And then you start thinking about how God knit you together. There are some people who even think they themselves are some type of a mistake. They themselves are, are some type, they're handicapped of some, some way. And the truth is, is that you're not. God made you. God made you with his hands. God formed man with his hands. And right here we see in verse 13, you formed my inward parts. God formed man with his hands, we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This right here, Warren Wiersbe said, it's one of the greatest passages in literature about the miracle of human conception and birth. One person said, in the presence of birth, we don't calculate, we marvel. And we should. That's why we should never, ever, ever, ever condone abortion. Because when that, that child is conceived in their mother's womb, God is already at work knitting them together. Right here he says in verse 13, You formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. The verb covered, it means woven together. And the word uh, skillfully wrought, it means to be embroidered. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word is translated embroidered in the book of Exodus. And so some, how many of you here, you knit? Just out of curiosity, how many of you knit? And so you create those things. Or what embroidery? That's really like creative, huh? And uh, that's what God did when you were in your mother's womb. You are handmade, according to verse 13. You are fearfully made, according to verses 14 and 15. And what we see is the complexity of the creation reveals the glory of the designer. You know, there's so much we can say here, but I'm trying to finish early because I love you guys and I don't want to go overboard. But um, you go home and you, you break out a biology book. I'm just going to read to you a couple of quick things real quick that I, uh, that I discovered uh, reading. Just, I don't know. I guess you could say these are interesting facts. Uh, did you know that the human nose can remember 50,000 different types of scents? So your, your nose... Like, in and out. Oh, yeah. You know, it triggers, right? <laughs> this is something interesting. I don't know why, but children tend to grow faster. They grow faster in the spring season. Did you know that when you put food in your mouth, if it's really hot, your mouth will automatically start cooling it off? And if it's really cold, your mouth, it has this built-in, I don't know, heater and air conditioner or something like that that, that makes it the right, the right, uh, the right temperature. Here's something interesting. They say that hugging, a real hug, it releases uh, um, chemicals. It's called, well, I don't want to mispronounce that. But that, 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 that hug, it actually can heal physical wounds. It's interesting. Did you know that your toe has unique prints? No one else has toe prints like you, you know? And, of course, your fingerprints and your tongue print. They're all unique. Here's something interesting. When you sleep, you can't smell wonder why. Here's something really even more interesting. Did you know that every time your eyes are open, your eyes can see your nose? But your brain, God made our brains in such a way that if for some reason we ignore it. That's literally what the scientists say. How about blinking? Uh, we blink throughout the day constantly. And what it does is it helps to wash tears over our eyeballs and it cleans them and moistens our eyes. We do this 28,000 times a day. That's how God made us. So detailed. Why, did he, why didn't he just make eyes that don't dry? 
Why did he do that? Because he is showing us glimpses of his glory. And how detailed this is, you know? 10% of your waking hours, your eyes are closed. That's how often you blink. It's interesting to me. I don't know if you knew this. This is an interesting fact. One out of every eight persons snore. How many of you are snores? And one out of every ten grinds his teeth. These are just different things. Um, How many muscles are working when you take a step? Well, they say 200 muscles every single time we step. Here's something interesting. I don't know. These are just little facts. But did you know that when you read your computer screen or your iPad and stuff, you read 25% slower than if you were to read a book? Just something about the electronics. And you guys all know this. It's impossible to sneeze when your eyes are open. You guys know that, right? And it's impossible to hum with your nose plugged. Watch, try it right now. (laughs) I don't know if all this is true, but I I checked a few resources and they said these confirm the tongue, the strongest muscle in the body. Interesting, our fingers don't have muscles. Their muscles are located in our palm and forearms. An adult body contains 100 trillion cells. Your tongue has 3,000 taste buds. That's why you like Doritos so much. (laughs) Men get hiccups more than women. A sneeze can exceed 100 miles per hour. That's why you shouldn't try holding it in, okay? You can hurt yourself. And other things, which I won't bore you with tonight, but I just look at, you just start studying, and I just wanted to give you a little taste of this. You just go home, and you get your biology book, and you start looking at it, and you start realizing what God has done and who God is. And he's not, you know, omniscient God knows everything. He's an omnipresent God. He's everywhere. And look at what he does. Look at the details in every single person's life. But the most important part in looking at this right here is the Lord designed our bodies, yes, but he did it because of the determination of our days. That's the thing. Okay? And that's the thing that's important. When God was making you, when God was knitting you together, in your mother's womb, and even before then, before you were conceived, God already had a plan for you. That's important for us. I don't know about you, but I love stuff like that. Because when I realize that God has a plan for me, it just makes me seek Him more to discover that plan. You know, um, it says right here in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, you are not just some random, scientific, physiological, biological act of nature or your parents. You are a creation of God. Everything about you. And don't you love the way that we're all different? Don't you just love that? And I was talking to one brother today, and I said, man, he is gifted. God is going to use him in a mighty way. And I hear some of these singers and just different things. And I'm like, wow, God gave you that because he had a plan for your life. Different things. It's all part of the plan each and every day. We are God's work. And this, therefore, affects our walk. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's work. It affects our walk. We are God's work. It affects our will. We are God's work. It affects our work. And that's why I read in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so what God has worked into you, the reason he saved you, then you are to work out with fear and trembling. Because when God knit you together in your mother's womb, he already had a work, a life, a destiny for you. David knew this. And there's David. He's a shepherd. He's watching over his sheep. You know, and he doesn't know. He doesn't know that God is going to make him the king of Israel. God is going to make him one of the greatest kings, a picture of Jesus. He doesn't know that yet. But God does. And there he is seeking the Lord. And you'll find that whenever God calls people into the ministry to do a great work of the ministry, they're not people looking for positions in the ministry. They're people who are just faithful where God put them. Whether it's a shepherd, whether it's a fisherman, whatever it is. And God is the one that does the work. Jesus, you know what he would do, right? He would rise each and every day. And ask God for his plans for the day. He would ask his father, according to Mark 1, 35 through 39. Because look again in verse 16. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. When there were no days, God already had it in his book, his plan for you. And you were made for those days. And those days were made for you. And it's important for us to know that. That's why Jesus, he would wake up every morning and he would ask the Lord for marching orders. He would ask his father. You know, Mark chapter 1, I referred to it earlier, is when he went out and before the sun, he went and prayed. And then, you know, his disciples were looking for him and they finally found him. And they said, hey, Lord, we got to do the work right here. Everybody's waiting for you. And Jesus said, it's time to move on. I got to preach the gospel in the next city. That was his calling. Every single day, we got to live our life. Every single day. Every single day, we take up our cross. Every single day, we seek the Lord and we ask him for his will. Because all those days, God says, I've got plans. Isaiah 50, verse 4, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. And he awakens me to hear as the learned. And see, that's what we need to do every single morning. Look at verse 17. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand when I awake. I am still with you. And that's just God's thoughts. And a lot of people believe they're God's thoughts towards you. And we know that according to Jeremiah chapter 29. Psalm 40 verse 5. It says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And I know it sounds weird. I don't know if you ever like just stop. For a moment, I know you're busy. You got to wash the cat. You got to wash the car. You got to put gas and fix the door and the leaks. And you know, we got to get ready for the Bible study. And we've got a million things to do. But do you ever just stop and think about how God is always thinking about you? 
I mean, if you were to take all the grains of sand, none of the, you put them all together, you count them all, God's thoughts towards you are more than those grains of sand. I wonder if we really know about this God that we're serving. I wonder if it's really impacted our lives the way that it should. You know, it starts there. And so, here's where David then, I think, begins to get, you know, like, this is what's going on in my life. In verse 19, he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak wickedly against you, wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And you guys know me. I like to kind of like put things together to where I can kind of remember maybe just a, a summary of it. And if I could just say it this way. First of all, we studied about God's omniscience. He knows everything. Everything about me. Secondly, we studied about God's omnipresence, that he's everywhere. I can never run from him. I can never hide from him. But then I just put it this way. I put the word made. Made. How God made us, right? And then I put the word mad. Mad. This wonderful God, this amazing God, this powerful God... This holy God, this God that loves us so much that he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that we, his creatures, we rebel against him. They rebel, they sin. Sin is when you do anything that God doesn't want you to do. Well, I think being gay is okay. Well, you're, you're you, you're, you're man, you're made, you're human. God doesn't think it's okay, but you don't care. Why? Because I guess you're God. If God says it's wrong and God says it's sin and God says it's detrimental and God says it's not good for our society, I'll tell you what, I'll take God's word over your word any day. Sin is when we do things God tells us not to do. Or when we don't do things God says, I want you to do. And we should be mad at sin. We should hate sin. Now, we don't hate the sinner. We love them. David here, Old Testament theology. He needed to go over to Jesus and New Testament theology, right? But he does give us something that I think is oftentimes missing in the church. We should hate sin. We should. And that's what David says here. Lord, these guys, they're, they're coming against you. They're bloodthirsty men. They blaspheme you. They don't care. You know, they say that they were, 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 were evolved. We're here by random chance. A series of fortuitous occurrences. Evolution that, you know, we don't have to worry about standing before you one day. And David here, you know, it, it just... He saw what was going on. And what that did is that made him mad. And it should make us mad. 
as well. Not at the sinner, like I told you before. You love them. We love them. But we hate the sin that destroys them. That's all. And so David here, in closing, in verse 23, this is what actually what brought me to this passage in the very beginning. Uh, when I was praying last week and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to share? This right here where he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, we've discovered that God sees and knows absolutely everything that we can never, ever, ever escape his presence and that he made us for a mission. I pray you would know that. That we were sown together to serve him, that he has great plans for our life. And so, Lord, search me. Show me those blind spots of my life that I can't see. You know, I'm not really interested in his or hers any longer. Lord, show me me. Because I don't want anything to get in the way of the plans and dreams and destiny that you had for me. You know, I was reading in 2 Samuel 21, verse 1, how there was a famine in the days of David. Okay, and I'll close with this, because I know you guys are getting hungry. All right? And there was a famine in the day of David. And so what would you do if there was a famine? What would you guys do if there was a famine? I know what you would do. You would go looking for food. You're like, hey, man, where is there pizza? You know, the other day we went to a restaurant. It's a pretty cool pizza place. It's called 585. I don't know why it's called 585, because the pizzas were 699. <laughs> but for whatever reason, it's called 585. It was good, you know. And uh, my wife and I, we had our little date, you know, lunar or whatever. But um, what would you do if there's a famine? You know what David did? He inquired of the Lord. Why is this happening? Is there a famine in your life? Why? Why? Just in case. Just in case there's something missing in your life. There's no food for the soul. Just in case there's something missing in your life. And you can't put your finger on it. You can point the finger but you can't really put your finger on it. Well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. I don't know. But I know when David, you know, he, he sought everything out and the Lord told him why. This needs to be taken care of in your kingdom. You know, the blood of Saul. You need, you need to deal with this. And, and that's what I, my prayer is. I think for all of us here, there's probably some areas of our life. For some, there's maybe some major areas. And God will, will show you. God will, it says right here, look, notice his, verse, his prayer, search me, O God. So search me, O God, and then know my heart. And then he says, try me. So search me, and then try me. And what that means is that you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tests. And the things that rise to the surface are the dross that he needs to skim off. But here's the thing. <laughs> you got to skim it off. God will do everything he can, but he won't repent for you. And so I think in looking at this right here, David says, and see, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? 
anything, Lord, show me. And then, Lord, please lead me in the way everlasting. See, it's a very doctrinal psalm, right? But it's also a very personal psalm. And so I'll take it to heart. Pray for me that God will help me. But I pray you would take it to heart as well. Very personal. He says, search me, know me, try me, see me. And that's what we need to come away with, you guys. God is working on us. And I pray that if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, um, that you would give your life to Christ today. You know, uh, the Bible says that your sins have separated you from God because he's a holy God. He can't violate his nature. Some people think, well, God's going to let everybody into heaven one day. I remember one time I went to a funeral, and that's what the priest said. He said, hey, we're all going to heaven. No, we're not. I know some of these guys right here, buddy. (laughs) I know we're not all going to heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the road to heaven is narrow, and there are few who find it. So that's why God is always throwing out the invitation. He's always throwing out the net. And just in case, and here on a Thursday night, you're thinking, well, everybody probably knows the Lord, but... I don't know, maybe. Maybe there's one person or two or three. I don't know. But you've never really given your life to Christ. You've never simply acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Understanding that Jesus died for you on the cross. He was put in a grave. He rose again. And the the way that you're saved is by faith in Christ. Period. One day you stand before God and God says, Well, why should I let you into heaven? And then so you say, well, because I'm a good person. You're not going to make it to heaven if you say that. Well, you say, because I gave $50 to the church every week. You're not going to make it to heaven if you you say that. Well, it's because I went through all the ceremonies. You won't go to heaven if you say that. It is not by works. It's nothing that you can do. The only thing you can do is surrender your life and what you have to say on that day when you're standing at heaven's door and you know, God says, why should I let you in? You say, because I believed and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Can you say that? I pray if you can't that tonight you would say that and you would make that step because salvation is instant. It's the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for loving us, Lord, the way that you do. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would know, Lord, the awesome God that you are. We would just be overwhelmed like David said.